So we're in Lesson 25 today. Let's uh, continue on. We're going to be plugging along right through Chapter 17 today. And again, we're in that third section of Proverbs. So these are individual Proverbs written by Solomon. Now these are Proverbs that are exalting righteous living. Righteous living. So let's look at verse 7. And as always, we're talking about speech. That seems to be a common proverb, type of proverb in in the book of Proverbs concerning how we speak. Now notice what it says, verse 7. Excellent speech is not becoming to a fool, much less lying lips to a prince. So here's what I want you to see. A dishonest leader is worse than an arrogant fool. A dishonest leader is worse than an arrogant fool. Because I want you to notice what it says. Excellent speech is not becoming a fool. So I want you to think about somebody who's foolish. And when I say foolish, we're not talking about someone who talks like a fool, but someone who acts like a fool. Someone who's foolish in his ways. Now, if that person who's foolish in his ways, when they speak, if they have excellent speech, it really doesn't match up with who they are, does it? I mean, they're saying one thing, and so that's the point that he's making here. But then the next point, which is what I want you to see, is is that he's saying that a lying, lying lips are not becoming for what? A prince. Well, what's a prince? In their culture, a prince was a what? A, a leader. A nobleman. Someone who was a leader. And so what Solomon is trying to tell you is that lying lips... Lying lips are not becoming for a leader. Now, let's transfer that because we don't have princes. We don't have kings in our culture, in the American system. But we do have what? Well, not just presidents, but elected leaders. Any official. It could be a community leader, you know, a local leader. It could be a state leader. It could be a federal leader. The point of the proverb is, is that lying lips are not becoming for a leader. Now, well, how do we translate that into everyday actions for us? You and I need to be careful about voting for people who what? What? But you're going to say, well, George, they all lie. I understand. The point is, is that really for leaders, lying should not be a part of their life. Lying should not be a part of their life. Now, look at verse 8. Now, we're going to talk about the issue of bribery. A present is a precious stone in the eyes of its possessor. And wherever he turns, he prospers. Now, I'm going to give you what the proverb is telling us here, and then i got to make a point, because you're going to wonder, why does he say this? Here's what he says. Those who use bribery meet with widespread success. Now, let me just remind you what a proverb is. Proverbs are tidbits of wisdom generalized statements concerning life. They're not promises. So before you think the proverb is advocating for you and I to to bribe people, he is just basically here, what he's doing is he's making an affirmation concerning a point of reality. That bribery will get you farther than not bribing people. He's not telling you to do that. So, for instance, let me give you an example. Back in 1989, I had the opportunity to go to Kenya, East Africa for about three months. 
And once a week, the missionary and I would go over to a government office. In Kenya at that time, they gave churches free land to build churches. Uh, we would never do that here in the United States, but they did that there, okay? They gave churches free land. Now, there was a catch, though. In order for you to get free land, you had to go and see a government official. Now, even though it was free, i got to put those quote marks up there, to him, that government official, it wasn't. Because what he required was some tea money. In, in, in Kenya, they drink a lot of tea. It produces a lot of tea. And so he needed some tea money. And the amount of money he needed was more than one cup of tea. Because you might say, well, yeah, I'll take you out for a cup of tea. No, no, that's not what he's talking about. They call it chai money, tea money. What he was wanting was a bribe. And so these missionaries that we were with didn't do that. They didn't pay bribes. And so what they did was is he ended up going five years in a row, once a week, to see that government official for his property. And I said, don't you get exasperated? He said, yeah, but at least I have a clean, clean conscience. Then he goes by and he says, now that group over there, I said, how come they keep getting land? He said, because they pay bribes. Some church groups pay bribes. And so they got their property. That's the point of reality. That's the point Solomon's making here to us. So, is George advocating you bribe? No. You know, don't do that. That's not what his point. Solomon is just presenting a point of reality here. Let's go on. Look at verse 9, the issue of love. He who covers a transgression seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates friends. Oh, this is a great verse. We'll stop here. Here's what it says. How people respond to the faults of others reveals the level of their compassion. How people respond to the faults of others reveals the level of their compassion. See, how many of you know the verse, love covers a multitude of sins? How many of you have heard that verse before? It's very true. This is what Solomon's talking about. If you genuinely love someone, you're going to what? Forgive. You're going to move on. You're going to cover it. But Solomon makes an extra point here and says, but if you continue to raise the matter up, you'll separate friends. You're going to cause problems. So let me pick on somebody here. I'll pick on Bruce because Bruce is always here to be picked on. Okay? All right, let me pick on Bruce here for a moment. Let's say Bruce does something to hurt me or does something in a business deal or whatever, and then Bruce is convicted by it. Bruce comes and asks me for forgiveness, and... I forgive him because we're friends. Now, do I really forgive him because every time I'm with Bruce or every time I'm with Bruce in a group of people, you know, I'll say, hi, Mike, how you doing? Good to see you. Hey, have you seen Bruce here? Bruce is a great guy, even though he messed me over. But you know what? He asked for forgiveness, so we've got we to praise the Lord that God worked in his heart like that. Hey, how you doing, Tom? Isn't it wonderful what God did? Bruce messed me over. But he asked for forgiveness. Hey, Sam. He messed me over. But I forgave him. Now, what's that going to do for my friendship with Bruce? <laughs> He's going to mess me over again. Okay. What's it going to do? Did I really forgive him? Why? Because I keep what? 
Hey, okay, we're not, okay, let's think, I want you to stop for a moment. Let's make some application here. Think in your life for a moment. You've got somebody, maybe you did, did them wrong, or they did you wrong. Either way, one of you continues to bring it up. What does that say? No. No. And first of all, forgiveness is not forgetting. Let me just qualify that because some of you have been taught that forgiveness is not forgetting. The only one who forgets is God. And I don't see God sitting here anywhere in this room. He's here, but he's not in the presence of, you know, he's not you guys. You can't forget, but you can forgive because love allows you to forgive. Notice what it says here. The qualifying word is love is the one that covers the transgression. The love for the individual. And so if you continue to bring it up, it's going to create a problem to the point where this is going to say, well, he thinks that's bad. Wait till I do this next thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's going to separate. That's what Solomon's trying to tell us here. Love will cover the transgression, but continuing to bring up the matter, it separates friends. So that's the point I want you to see here. How people respond to the faults of others reveals their level of compassion for people. Because here, let me explain to them. So I say my statement to Mike. So I say my statement to, to Tom here. I say my statement to Sam. I even maybe, because I'm the pastor, get up and say it from the pulpit. How do you think that makes Bruce feel? Is there any compassion on my part towards Bruce? No. Let me, let me explain something to you. Did you notice that there's an interesting pattern of confrontation in the Bible? It's in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, Jesus says, if your brother has done something against you, you go to him. And if he doesn't respond, you take two with you and you go to him. And then if he doesn't respond, you bring the matter to the church and you cast him out. Now, here's what I want you to see about that pattern. Bruce does something to me. If I go to him and Bruce says, man, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that, forgive me. Does it go further than that? Does it go to the next two or to the church? It's supposed to end there. Why do you think Jesus gave us a pattern like that? Because not everything that we do to each other has to be exposed to everybody else. Do you understand what I'm saying? Not everything that we... Because, look, the problem is, is we're human beings. We're going to rub each other wrong, aren't we? Spouses, you're going to irritate each other. You're going to go to bed. Oh, wonderful. Then in the middle of the night, you have a dream that he did something, and you wake up mad at him. Some of you are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. And you're like, well, what did I do? Well, last night in my dream, you did this. Oh, I wasn't in your dream. Well, yeah, you were. And, you know, and so stuff happens with each other. Stuff happens with each other. And Jesus gave us a pattern of dealing with it and ending it and not widening the circle. Because when you widen the circle, it gets out of control, doesn't it? And I've shared that with you before. Bruce does something to me. I say, oh, man, come. Look what Bruce did to me. Bruce says to Mike, Mike, look at what George did. Tom goes over and tells Jack. Jack tells Sam. So this side of the room is all upset at Bruce. Mike tells Lou here. Lou tells Rod. Rod tells George. This side of the room is all upset with me. And in the midst of everybody being upset and taking sides, 
we reconcile. We're okay with each other. In fact, we're at McDonald's chowing down on a cheeseburger wondering, why is everybody upset at church? <laughs> no, but see, my point was is that circle widened and the initial people may be reconciled, but other people have still have taken up the reproach and gotten angry. See, your level of compassion, how you respond to others, reveals your level of compassion. And it can spread beyond that and create problems. Okay, let's look at the issue of discipline now. Look at verse 10. Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. Discipline will benefit the wise, but not the foolish. A wise person will accept the rebuke and learn from it and apply it to his life. But a foolish person, here's what Solomon says, you can beat him a hundred times, and he's still not going to get it. He's still not going to get it. Some of you are, I don't know what you're, some of you I do know what your work level is. Some of you I know what you used to work at. Maybe you're thinking in your mind of a worker that you've had where it doesn't matter what you do, they just don't get it. They don't get it. You're wasting your time. But then you've got a worker, all you've got to do is say one thing and he doesn't make that mistake anymore. Because he learned. That's the point that Solomon is making here. All right, look now at verse 11, the issue of retribution. An evil man seeks only rebellion, therefore a cruel messenger will be sent against him. So here's the issue. Those bent on rebellion will meet with severe retribution. Those bent on rebellion will meet with severe retribution. You know, history plays this verse out over and over. Over and over, you'll see this verse. If you look at history, if you're a student of history, you'll see that there will be individuals who will raise up that will rebel against the status quo and create havoc in a nation and maybe even turn the nation upside down. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, they don't die peacefully. They get knocked off. They get assassinated. They get murdered. And that's a principle that Solomon is giving to us here is that those who are bent on rebellion will meet with severe retribution. Solomon says it this way. Therefore, a cruel messenger will be sent against him. They're going to meet with an untimely problem. They think they're doing great, but they're not. Okay, here, the issue of associations. Verse 12. Let a man meet a bear cub robbed of her cubs, rather than a fool in his folly. Let a man meet a bear cub robbed of her cubs and a fool in his folly. Here's, it's dangerous to encounter a fool engaged in folly. Now, we've got some hunters here, and we've heard stories of people getting in between a mama and her cubs. And that ain't a great situation, is it? And you guys who go, in the, you guys who go out in the outdoors and enjoy the outdoors, that that's probably would be your worst nightmare, wouldn't it? To have that kind of situation happen to you. Now, here's what Solomon says. It's even more terrible for you to be involved with a fool who's engaged in folly. It's even more of a terrible situation for you and I 
to be involved with people who are engaging in what we know is foolish and wrong. Why? Because if we get involved with them, what happens to us? What happens to us? We usually join in, and the problems that arise, are we exempt from them? No, it, it, can, it comes back on us as well. So you've got to be wise. Here's the point. This is why it's about associations. You've got to be wise about who you hang out with. And, I, you know, and, and here's wisdom. Wisdom says, wisdom says, Tom's going to do something foolish. And maybe Tom and I get together quite often, frequently, but I'm realizing that Tom's getting ready to do something really dumb. I quit hanging out with Tom. Because I don't want to get involved with his... And Tom may put on the guilt trip. I thought we were friends. Yeah, while you were smart. Because what happens is, is the more people involved with him, the greater the problem will be on you because of your involvement with him. You understand? So Proverbs is trying to get you to understand you've got to be wise about who you hang out with and be wise about your involvement with them. Because they may be involved in something you shouldn't, they shouldn't be doing. Let's go on now. Look at the issue of justice. Verse 13. Whoever rewards evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. Here's the point. Acts of ingratitude. Acts of ingratitude will be punished accordingly. You and I have seen this. You've done right. You've done well. But you're not rewarded. Maybe the, maybe the company or the boss passes you over because you, you did right. And, or maybe you did right and somebody else, a friend or whatever, get, repays you with evil for the good that you did. And how does that make us feel, first of all? How do we feel when that kind of stuff happens? Unappreciated, but let, let's be real. How do you really feel? Do you feel, oh, I feel like I just want to go climb a mountain. I feel excited. No. How do you feel? Angry. What do you want to do? Retaliate. Your natural reaction is to retaliate. Now, here's what Proverbs is telling us. General statement. And this is something you and I as believers need to recognize. Because sometimes it seems like people just get away with stuff, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like people just get away with stuff. Here's what Solomon is saying. Notice what he says. Whoever rewards evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. He'll receive the retribution of his actions. It may not be in your time, because in our time, when do we want to go? Now, God's timing is different. God's timing is different. And it may even seem like they may even go to their grave and nothing happened. We've got to remember something that's beyond the grave. And to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. And for them it may be judgment in front of God. You understand? It may be judgment. So that's the issue of justice. Look, so what, what justice is in the hand of God. My friends, justice is in the hand of God. Look at verse 14. The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. Conflicts must be stopped before they get out of control. So, for instance, 
quarreling is like the release of water. So let's say, you know, oftentimes you'll hear the Jets come by here and they'll do a practice run on Kerbersville Dam. Let's say they make a mistake one time and really drop one on it. And all that water comes rushing down in here into, into Kerbinsville. Are we going to have any chance of stopping it once that happens? There's no way. Once, it's, once, that, once that dam bursts open, all that water comes rushing down in here. In fact, make it on a day in winter when the January thaws happen and they're holding back a lot of water. You're not going to be able to hold it back. See, this is the point that Solomon's trying to make here when it comes to the issue of quarreling. Once a quarrel happens, it's better to deal with it up front than to let it go on and try to deal with it later. See, this is our natural tendency. Our natural tendency. Rod and I are duking it out. We're in a disagreement with each other. And rather than dealing with it right now in the early stages where we know what the issues are, we may be wait. And if I could borrow a Pennsylvania mindset, we wait a long time. What do you mean a long time, George? I've been a pastor here a long time. I know. Years. And so here's what happens. The offense, think of your mind as a barbecue grill with a rotisserie. In your mind, you're turning over and over whatever that problem is, that whatever caused that conflict. Except now, you know, I'm from South Carolina. When we barbecue chicken, we used to just lay layers of barbecue sauce on it. Just layer after layer. Except now in the rotisserie of your mind, you're adding layer and layer of embellishment on what the problem is. And now you can no longer, after years, even recognize anymore what the initial disagreement was. Because what you've got is the meat caked with a whole bunch of stuff on top of it. You know? So then, after years, we decide to try to work it out. Do you think we can work it out now? You think we can work it out? No. See, that's what Solomon's point he's trying to make here. Just like with the release of water, if you allow quarreling to go on and don't deal with it immediately, you won't be able to deal with it. You won't be able to deal with it. My point is, is that's what Solomon is saying here. You know what? Conflicts must be stopped before they get out of control because once they're out of control, you can't bring them back in. You can't bring them back in. You can't control them. They're gone. Okay, now look at the issue of justice again. Verse 15. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike, are an abomination to God. Here's the point I want you to see. The Lord hates any miscarriage of justice. So the guy who justifies wrongdoing, and you see that on your news, you see that on your news all the time. They're okay for what they did because of this, because of their social economic background, or because their mama beat them one too many times, or their daddy didn't spend time with them, and and you know, and you see it all the time, and you're sitting there and you're saying. This is ridiculous. What kind of country are we living in today where they're doing this kind of thing? Or an innocent person is what? Condemned. And they didn't do anything. And you're sitting there wondering, what's going on? Listen, what I want you to see is what Solomon is trying to tell you is, is both are an abomination to God. God hates both of them. 
And you know what? He's the ultimate judge. He'll settle it in the end. He'll settle it in the end. Let's go on. The issue of wisdom, verse 16. Why is there in the hand of a fool the purchase price of wisdom since he has no heart for it? Here's the point he's making. A fool is so simple that he thinks he can buy wisdom. You can't buy wisdom. You can't buy wisdom. A fool is so simple that he thinks that rather than acquiring it over time and through experience and through the Word of God, that when he faces a crisis and he needs wisdom, here's what he's going to do. He's going to whip open his pocket and see if he can buy it. But you can't buy wisdom, can you? Wisdom is gained. Wisdom is given to you by God. And a fool, and remember some of the other Proverbs we've talked about, how, what was the fool's general attitude about wisdom? Does he like wisdom? He detests wisdom. He does everything he can to get away from it. But the fool, when he really realizes he needs wisdom, then he will what? Try to purchase it. Here, in fact, you know, as a pastor, I see this oftentimes. People go through crises, and then they'll show up at church. And they'll show up at church not to put something in the offering or something, but they'll show up at church to pay God with their attendance for what? Wisdom to get through their crisis. Now, they get through their crisis almost always. I've seen this happen. Almost always, what happens? Yeah, they forget about it. They quit coming to church. And they're back doing their old thing before that created the problem why they came. See, that's the point that Solomon is making here. All right, look now, the issue of friends. This is a great verse. In fact, when I was looking over this lesson, I thought this is a great verse here. Friends. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Now, here's the point. Two things I want you to see here. The love of a, con- of a true friend is constant. The love of a true friend is constant. I had a uh, professor when I was in working on my undergraduate degree at Liberty and as well as the seminary. And I don't remember anything from my Theology 201 class. I do know the doctors. I, I don't remember specific lessons, but I do remember this. It was a comment that he made at the beginning of the class that has always stuck with me. And, I, and it is a great piece of wisdom, and I think it fits right in with what we're talking about here. And here's what he said. In your life, you will have many acquaintances. But really, you'll only have five or less true friends. In your life, you'll have many acquaintances. But you'll only have maybe five or less true friends. And he said, a true friend is someone who will do for you without asking for anything in return. Because they love you. They'll do for you without asking for anything in return. An acquaintance, they'll do for you, but what? they got a handout stretched. I'll take a rain check. Next time I need you, buddy, you can help me in my problem. That's an acquaintance. And I thought this was a wonderful thing. He said, make sure your wife is, or husband is one of those five. 
Make sure your spouse is one of those five. This is what Solomon is trying to tell you. That the love of a true friend is constant. No matter what happens in your life, they're going to be there for you. Whether you get in trouble, they're going to be there for you. Whether you're going through adversity, problems, difficult situations, they're going to be there for you. They're there with you when you're rejoicing. They're there with you when you are crying. The, the, it's constant. And, and I'll be honest with you. Those are the people we need to seek our friendships with, isn't it? The issue isn't how many people you know. The issue is what kind of circle of friends, true friends, do you have? And, and I would encourage you, spouses, be the true friend to your spouse. Now, I, I'll tell you this. I don't want to embarrass her. But Lori's my best friend. She's my confidant. Because... Literally, in my life, I only have less than five true friends, and she's the number one true friend. She's the number one true friend. And believe me, she puts up with some stuff for me. When you've got a clumsy guy like me, you better believe it. So, a true friend to love. Now, here's the thing. Now, he goes on one, there's one step beyond a friend, and here's what he says. Notice what the second part of that verse is. He says, a brother is born for adversity. Here's the point I want you to see now. It goes along. Relatives are faithful in times of adversity. That, that's very common in this area, isn't it? When you go through trouble, who do you have? Family. Don't let that ever be robbed of you. Because Solomon is telling you right here, look, a true friend is a friend whose love is going to remain constant. But here's the other thing. Relatives, blood, are going to be faithful in what? Adversity. Adversity. Look at verse 18 now. We've got to keep going on. A man devoid of understanding shakes hands in a pledge and becomes surety for his friend. Here's, here's the wisdom. Guys, this, you've, got to, you've got to be aware of this. It's foolish to pledge security for someone else's loans. This is talking about co-signing. Here, can I, can I give you a piece of wisdom? Pay attention to your news. He said, what do you mean? The economy is on the brink of a major recession. And from what I've been reading and listening, it isn't going to be like the mild ones we've had. So, okay, what does that got to do with this verse, George? This verse is talking about you co-signing for someone. That you need to be wise and putting your name down on the line for somebody else. And I'm telling you, the writing is on the horizon that we're in for some economic hard times in this country. And if the person you're signing for can't make the payment, who do you think they're going to go after? The person who signed their name on the line. That's what Solomon is telling you. Notice what he says. And here's what he says about the person. It's not me. This isn't George saying this. This is the one who, it says, a man devoid of understanding. Shakes his hands in a pledge. And becomes surety for his friend. So we want to make that, let's go on then. Uh, verse 19, the issue of speech. He who loves transgression loves strife. He who exalts his gate seeks destruction. Here's the point. Arrogant and contentious speech ends in destruction. 
Arrogant and contentious speech ends in destruction. I think that says it for itself. Look at verse 20 now. He who has a deceitful heart finds no good. He who has a perverse tongue falls into evil. Wicked words and ways lead to trouble. Very self-explanatory there. Wicked words and ways lead to trouble. Now look at verse 21. He who begets a scoffer does so to his sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. So what's he saying here? It is a grief to parents to have children become fools. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you have one that is the black sheep, and they're just, they won't listen to reason, and they just keep... You know, it doesn't matter if they've got ten kids that are doing great. Their heart is always on who? The one that did wrong. Because he's the grief to their soul. Now, the other ten are saying, Mom, Dad, why are you focusing on Jimmy? Jimmy's no good for nothing. We're doing well. But who are they grieving about? Jimmy. That's the point that Solomon's making here. Okay, let's let's go on. Verse 22, the issue of emotion. We'll just go through these real quick here. I won't read you the verse. One's emotional condition affects one's Physical condition. Solomon is telling us that one's emotional condition affects one's physical condition. So when you look here, a merry heart, verse 22, a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit decries, dries the bones. So how you are in your emotional state will affect your physical state. Look at the issue of justice, verse 23. A wicked man accepts a bride behind the back to pervert the ways of justice. Here's the thing. Bribery perverts justice. Bribery perverts justice. Look at verse 24 now. Wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. Here's the thing. The wise persist in following the course of wisdom. So a wise man will continue to follow wisdom. He'll continue to do what's right. But here, a fool drifts aimlessly in the sea of uncertainty. You ever met somebody like that? It doesn't, I mean, they're, they're bouncing around. Hey, you know, Bruce, I'm facing this situation. What do you think I need to do? Bruce tells me what I think I need to do. But I go over here. Hey, I'm facing this situation. Tom, what do you think I need to do? Tom tells me what he thinks. Sam, I'm facing this situation. What do you think I need to do? Mike, and so everybody's telling me what I think I do. Did you ever notice that person never listens to anybody? In fact, Sam, Tom, Bruce, Mike get together and say, boy, did you hear about what, what his, that uh, George's got a problem? Yeah, and I told him what the, I told him the same thing. He's not listening to any of us. And here's what you say about me. Boy, he's a fool. Right? Maybe use some other words. But a fool drains, just kind of drifts aimlessly out there. Let's go on now. We've got a couple folly. Verse 25. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Again, it is a bitter grief to have a child who turns out to be a fool. It affects you. It will affect you if your children don't do right. Right? That's just reality. Let's go on. Verse 26, the issue of punishment. Also, to punish the righteous is not good, nor to strike princes for their uprightness. 
It is a mistake to punish people who are innocent. That's what Solomon is saying. We know that. And then finally, verse 27, the issue of character traits. He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Okay, here's the point. Here's what, what, again, and it's kind of tied into the issue of speech, but the point is this. A wise, the wise restrain their speaking and control their actions. The wise restrain their speaking and what? Control their actions. Okay, let's...